And the purpose of preaching the sincere gospel of Jesus Christ is to help people see the freedom that they have, the liberty that they have, praise God, so we can enjoy the love that God has bestowed upon us and the freedom that we have. That God is not angry at you, God is not mad at you, that God is not working to destroy you, but he has already affirmed his love in your life. Hallelujah. And the moment we are secured by his love, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It means you don't have to live in fear anymore. The insecurities that you may be experiencing, even in marriage or in your life, are as a result of the fear and the insecurity of feeling insufficient or incapable. But when God's love has been revealed to your heart, it secures you and it communicates to you, one, that you are enough, that you're good enough to deserve his very best. Praise the Lord. You're good enough to deserve his very best. Why? Because he received your very worst. And that is what Christ did for us. The Bible says he was raised for our justification. Yes, he was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. And we proclaim to you the reason Christ and what he has delivered to the life of a believer. Hallelujah. Now, we have been tackling the topic of the shadows to the substance. From the shadows to the substance. And we have been trying to teach you to move away from the practice of the old covenant and to embrace the reality which is Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Because the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 16 there, that as long as Moses is read, there remains a veil upon their face. As long as Moses is read, there remains a veil upon their face. Are we together? So as long as Moses is read, what is the reading of Moses? Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Exodus. That as long as you read it without the understanding of Christ, there remains a veil upon your face. But the Bible says when the veil is taken away, when the veil is taken away, when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So our turning to Christ is the removal of the veil. What is the veil? The veil is the old covenant, the glory that fadeth away. When Moses came up from the mountain, he covered his face because his face shone. But it was a glory that was fading away. But there is a permanent glory that comes by the Spirit. The Bible says, For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God as in a mirror are being transformed from one degree of glory to another after the image of the Creator by the Spirit. Which means the glory that we are moving into is not saying, my life is moving from glory to glory. Like today you didn't have makeup, we see you tomorrow, we make up and say, sister, you're looking glorious, praise the Lord. It's not about that. The glory to glory is the glory of the old covenant that fadeth away to the glory of the new covenant that resides in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we were tackling shadows to substance and there are so many shadows in the Old Testament that try to communicate a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality that they endeavor to communicate to the believer is Christ, Christ concealed, which is called the mysterion. Then Christ revealed is the apocalypsis. Christ has been revealed. We have been teaching you these things. For example, let me give you an example of a shadow, all right? Pharaoh refuses to release the children of Israel. His heart is hardened. Different plagues come to Egypt. Pharaoh says no. 
I am not letting them go. He refused until the death of the firstborn. What are we called? We are called the church of the firstborn. So that was a type. The death of the firstborn was a type of liberty, which Christ being the firstborn dies, and now we are freed from the bondage of sin. Are we together? Praise the Lord. So there are so many types and shadows in the Old Testament that you will see the, re the revealed substance in Christ. So we were looking at feasts. Praise the Lord. We were looking at feasts. Now in the book of Leviticus 23 from verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. A holy convocation is an assembling together. So the feasts were very significant for the assembling together of the children of Israel. They never had assemblies. So the feasts were the opportunities for them to assemble together. So they were called holy convocations and they were God's idea because the word of God says even these are my feasts. Praise the Lord. He says six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. That means it's a day of assembling together. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Hallelujah. Now, I told you the purpose of the feast was that, they, number one, they declared seasons. The feasts were able to declare seasons. I told you, if you actually research the seven feasts of Israel in one year, and you look at the timeline of all those feasts, they come to 40 weeks which interestingly is a woman's gestation period. Praise God. Say, I'm giving birth in Jesus' name. Okay, it's a joke. Uh, but basically, it's the same timeline. Same timeline. So God knew. There's something very interesting about it. Praise the Lord. Which means that in the end, the goal was fruitfulness upon the children of Israel. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, the feast was for worship and thanksgiving. We read that. Commemoration. I said if we stop celebrating holidays, we might forget what they mean. That's why we commemorate those particular days to remember. And then there were also the renewal of covenant, teaching and instruction and community and unity. And there's so many other examples. But one thing I told you is this, that the Israelites observed the lunar calendar because they used the moon to tell their times and seasons. Praise God. The feast declared the season. They lined up with the moon and their lunar calendar. Now, am I trying to sound deep? No. What I'm trying to tell you is, for Jews, their day begins in the evening. Our day begins in the morning when the sun rises because we follow the solar calendar. Now, these feasts, as we taught you, were given in the Old Testament. And we know that Christ is the end of the law. The law is good. Because it had a purpose in the Old Testament. It revealed God's character, that he was a just and righteous God. It maintained order among the people of Israel. It promoted health and hygiene, communicated God's expectations, providing atonement and forgiveness. It fostered discipline, distinguished Israel from other nations, preparing for the Messiah and serving also as a tutor till the appearance of Christ. That being said, what is the lesson? key thing. The Old Testament law contained prophetic feasts of events that will take place in the future, 
some of which have already taken place. And what are those feasts? We said first the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Fastroots, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or Tabernacles, or that one. These seven feasts, praise God. And I told you, God knew. That's why there were seven. Because God has also been particular about the number sevens. His Sabbath rest is on the seventh day. Praise God. Are we together? There are seven candlesticks. Praise God. In the in the uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. What else is, the, is seven? I told you. The animals that were clean, that entered into the Ark, did not enter two by two. They entered seven by sevens. There are seven feasts. And there's so many things that are seven. Now, what I want to show you is how this feast, briefly, we have not touched all of them. This is one month. The first thing we did this month is we taught you about the year of Jubilee. Are we together? And uh, Kiming is the one who did the teaching on the year of Jubilee. And we said Jesus was crucified on the year of Jubilee. Praise God. Praise the Lord. We are not a political party. But I'm telling you, this is a fact. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year of rest. What God told the children of Israel is, on the sixth year, let's say we're studying in the year 2000, all right? So which will be the sixth year? 2006. So in 2006, God told the children of Israel, plant. Whatever you will harvest in 2006, you will harvest so much that you will not need to work in 2007. So whatever they planted on the sixth year was enough to take them to the eighth year. Praise God. That when they were planting, they were still eating. That's the faithfulness of God. And Jesus is our jubilee. Because the jubilee symbolized, one, the abundance of God. Number two, the jubilee signified the release of prisoners or slaves for that matter. So if you were a slave, you were released on the seventh year. If you owed someone money, you had to go and work for him as a hired servant, but not treat, they were instructed not to treat each other as slaves. So as you worked for someone else because you owed them on the seventh year, you are released. So God already knew, and he said it in such a way that if you were to borrow from me on the sixth year, I was not to put such a high interest, because I, knowing very well that on the seventh year you will be free. And also on the same way, you, I wasn't going to lend you so much. Because on the seventh year, you will be free. You will not be entitled to pay me. <laughs> Praise God. So God had put in a beautiful system. Not only did they, were they freed from debt, but also whatever was yours was restored to you. If you were broke and you had sold land so you could feed your family, on the seventh year, that land was yours again. Which meant the inheritance that was given to you because of the Jubilee year was yours permanently. And nobody could take it away from you. If your land went on the first year, on the seventh year, it was restored. It was restituted back to you in full. Praise God. And Jesus Christ is our jubilee. Because in a span of seven Sabbaths, seven Sabbath years, on the 50th year after the 49th year, Jesus was crucified. Praise the Lord. So God knew. All these things. So now you can never come. I can never come and tell you. Connect with your jubilee seed. Hallelujah. It's your season of jubilee. Connect with your season of jubilee. Hallelujah. It's the year of jubilee. Out of Zion still. So I'll let you connect with your jubilee seed. You can. You can't. 
Jesus is the Jubilee. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, moving on from that, we looked at the Passover, the Feast of Passover. Praise God. And we said how God instituted the Passover. Leviticus 23 verse 5, In the 14th day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lamp, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So Jesus is our Passover. Praise God. When they put blood, they put it on the doorposts and also on the lintel. Praise God. It shapes a cross. And that night, the de death passed over. As long as you had put in the blood, death passed over. So Jesus is that Passover because it declared freedom from years of captivity and bondage. Because of Christ's resurrection, there is freedom from the believer, from captivity and bondage. Christ is our Passover. Are we together? We also looked at um, the Feast of Fast Fruit, which is in Exodus 23, verse 14 to 16. I'll just read from verse 16, which says, And the Feast of Harvest, the fast fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of thy field, God was telling them to keep a feast for the fast fruit. The Feast of Fast Fruit, also known as the Festival of Fast Fruit, was one of the annual feasts prescribed by God in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Leviticus. It was a significant celebration in the agricultural calendar of ancient Israel and held great spiritual significance as well. Here are the key points about the fast fruits, and I share that with you. Is that the fast fruit, like other Old Testament feasts, was later superseded in its full significance by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the fast fruits of the resurrection, Jesus fulfilled the spiritual meaning of this feast, ushering in a new era and fulfilling God's plan of redemption. Now listen to this. The fast fruit began after the Sabbath. Are we together? Uh, the, the fast fruit began, when did it begin? After Jesus was crucified, a day after, that means it began after the Passover. Are we together? And I told you, according to how people calculate, some say it began on the third day, some say on the second. All that matters is Christ was sown into the ground as a seed. In the book of John chapter 12, Christ says that unless a seed of, or a grain of wheat is sown into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it gives birth to many, which talks about fruition. The same way Christ was sown as the seed and he died. The first fruit feast was celebrating his resurrection. Similarly, when you plant and you see the first fruit coming out of the ground, Jesus' resurrection is the communication or the significance of that first fruit. Are we together? Are we together? So Jesus is the first fruit. How do we know this? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Christ is risen from the dead. He is the first fruits. Why? Because he is the first to rise from the dead. We are all God's harvest. That's why the Lord said that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers. If we are his harvest, then the first to rise from the ground, the first to spring up from the ground was Christ. And many other souls coming into the kingdom of God is that great harvest that God is reaping because of the gospel. Are we together? Make sense? It says 
but each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Hallelujah. Listen, we have to preach the truth. There are other places this message will be very bad because it will affect the bottom line. But I'm telling you, doesn't the scripture say Christ has become your first fruit? Please, first fruit is not your money. First fruit is not the grain you take to church. Let us move from the shadows, come to the substance. The substance is Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Are we together? Yes, we can give abundantly to the Lord, but not through manipulation. Please hear me. You can give abundantly to the things of God, but let it never be through manipulation. Jesus is the first fruit, as the scripture says. Do you know another first fruit is you? When we move on, the Bible says in James 1.18, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are the first fruit of God. James 1.18 Beloved, I used to wonder, those years I used to struggle thinking about fast fruit, praise God. And I used to calculate and say, God, the way I am struggling, if I get a job, let's say it pays me 50K or 100K, how will I survive the next month because I have to take it all to church? Praise God. Then you don't have fare to go to work, you get fired. <laughs> I didn't have fare <laughs> because you finished all of it. You gave it to church fast fruit. Listen, beloved, the substance is Christ. Praise the Lord. Of your own choice you can decide because God has opened a new business and I am reaping the first income. You can decide, I want to give something to God. You can decide of your own choice, but never take it and say, this fast fruit will open doors for me or this fast fruit will do one, two, three things for me because Christ is the fast fruit. Praise the Lord. Are we together? So the feast of Passover, Christ is called the Passover. Hallelujah. The feast of fast fruit, Christ is called our fast fruit. Can you see every feast is talking about Jesus? Amen. Then we talked about the feast of unleavened bread, also known as the festival of unleavened bread. It was one of the appointed feasts in the Old Testament observed by the people of Israel, and it was closely connected to the Passover and was held annually to commemorate and celebrate the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. And it started from the Passover and it ran for seven days. Are we together? Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they had, it ran through the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And why were they eating unleavened bread? There was a significance in it. Because bread that is not leavened, one, does not require you to give it time to, ri to rise. Are we together? So, in a way, all right, for lack of a better expression, it was something hard. But, what God was trying to show them is urgency. Quickly leave Egypt. Quickly. There's no time to wait for the bread to rise. Quickly leave. So they were given the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Are we together? And we know the instruction there. I shared the notes with you about the unleavened bread. But what was the significance? The Bible says, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven liveneth the whole lamp. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lamp, as ye are an leavened you are unleavened you are called unleavened can you you are called unleavened why because leaven symbolized sin are we together and they were coming out of egypt being set free from egypt they were leaving the mannerisms of egypt behind and they were coming out of bondage and captivity similarly for the believer when he believes in christ 
he has been freed from the power of sin and he has entered into the kingdom of light. Therefore, he is no longer bound to sin. So he is unliving. There is no living in him. Praise the Lord. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So one symbolism of bread is Christ. He is called the bread of life. Are we together? Two, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. What was the corruption? Living was the corruption. So Christ died and God did not allow him to see corruption. Therefore, Christ is the unleavened bread that we break during Passover, that was broken during Passover. Are we together? Praise the Lord. Amen. In the book of Acts, it says, And we declare unto you, glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure masses of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. God never suffered Jesus to see corruption. Praise the Lord. That's why Jesus died. No bone of his was broken. Neither did he decay in the grave, but he rose in the newness of life. Hallelujah. So what was the living? It was the doctrine of the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, the kingdom, um, forget about Matthew 13, 33, Matthew 16, verse 6. Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the living of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And then he explained it in Matthew 16, 11 to 12. How is it that ye do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, so that I should beware of the living of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they, or then they understood how that he bade them not beware of the living of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. What was their doctrine? Legalism, justification by works. That never works. Oh, that's a rhyme. Amen. So being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Being now made free from sin, you have become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So what is the lesson? These verses use the word living metaphorically to illustrate spiritual concepts such as the influence of the kingdom of heaven, false teaching, hypocrisy, and the need to remove malice and wickedness from one's life. The Feast of Unleavened Bread along with the Feast of Passover was an essential part of Israel's religious calendar and it served as a powerful reminder of God's faithfulness and deliverance throughout their history. And now we understand that the true deliverance is deliverance from sin in Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, we are yet to teach you in depth about the other feasts that I mentioned to you earlier. The Feast of Pentecost, we touched with uh, Brother Kimingi, right? We touched on the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost, we say it comes how many days after the Passover? How many days? How many days? Praise the Lord, church. Have we been teaching you guys? Feast of Pentecost comes how many days after Passover? 50. 50 days. Praise the Lord. Pentecost means 50. 
pente, pente, pente. You know, like it makes sense, huh? Let me explain this. The Feast of Pentecost that came 50 days after symbolized one, the promise that God said to the children of Israel that he will give them the land that he promised unto them. Praise the Lord. But the true promise is the promise of the Spirit that has been given to the church. Hallelujah. That's why on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came. Hallelujah. To the church. But also, how we calculate it is very significant because Jesus, after he died, the Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. And how is that calculation made possible? In the book of Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus spent how many days with the disciples? 40 days. He appeared unto them with infallible proofs, teaching them things concerning the kingdom. Praise the Lord. How many days are those? 40. Are we together? How many days did Jesus be uh, in the grave? Three days. Are we together? How many days does that make? 40? Three days. So which means how long were the disciples in the upper room? Seven days. Are we together? Are we together? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Or there are those who start counting Pentecost after the resurrection. So they say the disciples then must have been 10 days in the upper room. Whichever way, the Spirit of God came. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So when we look at these feasts, what do we learn from this? We learn that Christ is a substance. Christ is the substance. But beyond that, we see the significance of it now that we are in Christ Jesus. We know that he is our Passover, which means death has passed over us. We have passed from death to life. Through Christ, immortality and life was made manifest to us. Hallelujah. That through Christ Jesus, we have received the first fruit, which is the Spirit of God, and we are also the first fruit. Through Christ Jesus, we are the unleavened bread, which means that we have been freed from sin. Through Christ, we have received atonement. Hallelujah. Through Christ, we know the Feast of Trumpets is symbolic of his second return, where we shall be caught up with him. We also know about the Feast of Tabernacles, which Christ shall come and tabernacle prophetically with us in the millennial reign, as people talk about it. All these feasts have a significance. But what we're trying to show you is move from the shadows to the substance. Now, when we are in the substance, which will require us to do a lengthy teaching in this particular matter, I want to talk briefly about the coming together of brethren. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto, uh, unto love and to good works. So we are called to provoke and to love, which, of course, if you look at the word and in the Greek is the word kai, which means emphasis, even or that is. So let us consider to provoke one another and to love that is good works, which is good works. That is, when love is in the picture, there is good works. Are we together? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the reason why believers came together was that they may provoke each other in love and good works. How can you enjoy the good that is in someone's life? By meeting together. Not through Zoom. 
but by assembling together. I can interact with you and I can enjoy your ministry. You can minister to me and you can bless my life. You can encourage me. Now, their coming together was symbolic because now we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 20, which is a topic that we will delve in in detail. Some of you wonder, how comes you have never given you communion? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Take your time. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. I've marked the word come together because it's used three times. First of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, there was something called love feasts that the believers practiced in the New Testament where they used to meet together and break bread. Praise the Lord. And that's what we are trying to do today. We are trying to have a small love feast where we share in a meal together. Hallelujah. But the, the reason why we have this love feast was that it made believers come together and celebrate together. And even when Jesus had supper with his disciples uh, on, the, uh, on the day of Passover, praise the Lord, it was their congregating together was not that we are to continue practicing the Passover, that we, are continuing, we will continue eating unleavened bread. But rather, Jesus was trying to teach them spiritual examples, which I will explain to you. Do you know in the same night Jesus was them, he washed their feet? Do you know that? He was using it to try and explain a spiritual reality. So does it mean we should continue washing each other's feet? Forever? No. So it is good for us to pay attention to these things. And I will not delve into that. But when Paul talked about discerning the Lord's body, he was not talking about the bread. And please hear me. Paul, when he talked about discerning the Lord's body, he was not talking about the bread. The problem is we read the Bible without, uh, without context. The reason why Paul was saying discerning the Lord's body is because the Corinthian church, if you start from chapter 1, there was division. There was division in chapter 1. What were the reasons of their division? Some said they belonged to Paul. Some said they belonged to Apollos. Others said they belonged to Peter. Are we together? They had division. What was the other reason they had division? There was division because there was some people who were practicing immorality and the church was tolerant of it. There is a guy who had actually slept, I think, with his mother-in-law. And the Corinthian church were tolerant. So it was bringing divisions among them. Another reason for division, they were taking each other to court. Are we together? Another reason for division is some felt like women should not preach and they should cover their heads and things like that. So the Corinthian church had several divisions. Another reason for division was spiritual gifts. They were trying to outshine each other. I can prophesy more than you. Go. You started and I, 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 I overtake you. They had issues with spiritual gifts. Another issue of division was that there are some guys who said, you know what? Oh, I'm sorry for that. There are some guys who say the resurrection has already happened. The resurrection has already happened. There are some guys who said, you know what? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Because the resurrection has already happened. 
in the same Corinthian church. Now let me ask you, where has the Bible spoken about us being one body the most? Which book? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, chapter 13, 12. Are we together? It touches on us being one body the most. So what was Paul really talking about when he said your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are one body. By one spirit, have we all been baptized into one body? He was talking about the body of Christ. So when Paul is saying discerning the Lord's body, he's not talking about bread. He's talking about discerning your fellow brothers and sisters. Having discernment. Why? Because there was partiality. There were factions and divisions amongst them. That's why Paul even addresses that issue by saying, when they come together, it was never for the better. But it was actually for the worst. They came together for the worst. Because when they came together, there was division. There was seclusion. There was pride amongst the believers. There was class. There was status. So the ones who maybe did not look like they were financially capable looked like they were lesser citizens. These are the things that were happening in the Corinthian church. So they had issues in that church. And now Paul is talking about discerning the Lord's body. We have been told discerning the Lord's body is eating communion unworthily. That your communion, before you eat it, you have to make sure that your life is clean perfectly because if you eat it, you will eat damnation upon yourself. I say, there is a church I know somewhere. They always eat communion regularly and they don't even believe in salvation. How comes they are not dropping dead? You have asked yourself that question. They don't preach salvation, but they eat communion regularly. But they have not been dropping dead. They are still walking around. They even live there and go and have drinks. Eh? And all that. They still... So, when we talk about eating it unworthily, it is the failure to discern the body of Christ. Failure to discern one another. Why? Because when they came together for those feasts, some finished food for one another. It was room for gluttony and greed and selfishness. Praise the Lord. Are we together? Are we together? And we will extrapolate further on this particular matter. But the key thing is, instructions were given about their coming together. That they should do it for good. He says, for in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper. And one is hungry and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise yet the church of God and the shame, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So it was a culture amongst the church to gather together. The assembling together. Are we together? From the Old Testament, they, they had their feasts. They had their feasts in the Old Testament, which were specific days commemorating specific things that God did in their lives. In the New Testament, when we gather together, the church had a practice of gathering together and sharing meals together and having fellowship. Assembling together. The assembling together was not necessarily talking about meeting in a temple, but believers congregating together. It could be in a home. It could be in a local church. But to understand the value of your fellow brethren, Paul was trying to address to them that if you don't discern your brethren, you will begin to see churches exist amongst us where there are classes and partiality. A church where you go to and you feel like you don't deserve to be here. Or you are a second class citizen. Why? Because believers are not discerning the Lord's body. 
and we would treat each other badly. I would speak to you arrogantly. I would be very rough with you. Why? Because I am discerning the Lord's body that you are part of my flesh and part of my bones as we are one body with Christ. And so if I don't have discernment of my fellow brethren, I will treat them unworthily. I would treat them unworthily. I would mistreat you. I would speak to you in a way that is improper. Then we would begin to value the ones who have more income to look like they are the serious members. You know that's what we do in churches? The ones who are loaded, become um, they can easily become elders or they can become in the committee. Why? Why do we do that? You would find that you're a pastor in ministry, but you prefer to visit the ones who are well-off. But if you're a believer who is coming from a not very good neighborhood, you don't want to visit them. That's how we have failed to discern the Lord's body. And so in, Christianity has been reduced to a thing that is influenced by the present trends because we fail to discern each other's body, each other. And so Paul was saying, I, I am not praising you for this. And we see the culture that was there, that they had supper time and time again. In John 12, in John 13, Jude 1, 12, the Bible speaks about love feast. It says, when these people eat with you in your fellowship, meals commemorating the Lord's love. There were meals commemorating the Lord's love. So when believers ate together, they were showing that it is a sign of God's love. It is God's love when we eat together. When we share a meal together, it is God's love that we are communicating amongst us. Hallelujah. And we can see now in the book of Acts that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Whoever said breaking of bread is communion lied to you because how comes it never said breaking of bread and drinking of wine? What were they talking about? That they shared meals together. They shared meals together. And, and that's why I tell believers, sometimes it's good to read the Bible in context because when we fail to do so, we begin to misappropriate the scriptures. I, I, I say this with so much reverence. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will never hunger and thirst again. The true bread that gives life to men is Christ Jesus. Beloved, it is not the super loaf that you eat and the ribina you take. Let me repeat again, the true bread that gives you life, it is not the bread and the wine that you take. And I would explain this deeper as we continue. But what were they talking about? They were talking about the love feast that believers had. Because it talks about eating and drinking together. Now let me ask you, have you been having communion somewhere before? Was there eating and drinking to a point where people were finishing food for each other? And common sense will tell you that there was food. He was asking them, you come hungry and then you eat and finish for each other. It means, let me, let me say this. If you eat that small bread and that small cup, can it make you full? So they had love feasts. They, it was food that was served. But others were greedy, they finished each other. How much communion can you take until you get drunk? You understand? So they were getting drunk. Is it, it was not because they had their feasts. They had probably wine and some were finishing for one another and they were getting drunk. They were misbehaving themselves. Are we together? So when we see the culture that was there in the church, it means that they assembled together to commemorate the Lord's love. 
Hallelujah. The Lord's love. For our assembling together as believers in a congregation, it is to commemorate God's love. It means in a church, it is a place for love to be made manifest. It is not for a place where pride is to be exalted, but love to be made manifest among us believers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we shall continue on the shadows and substance. But for today, I just feel in my heart to tell you that we are blessed and privileged to be able to share love with one another. That among us, the congregation of believers, the thing that should be foremost exalted is the love and the concern that we have for each other in the body of Christ. And I pray that this love will be tangible in our midst, that we will demonstrate this love to one another. In our communication, in our giving, in our sharing, we will be able to showcase God's love to one another. And may God be glorified and exalted in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us rise on our feet. Just open your mouth and begin to give him thanks for the substance which is Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is our fast fruit. Jesus is the unleavened bread. Jesus is our atonement. We bless you and we thank you, precious Father, for your goodness and faithfulness. We bless you, precious Lord, how we honor you, how we bless you. We give you glory and honor. Just open your mouth and begin to give him thanks. We bless you, Father. We thank you. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you. Three, four, six, eight. PC off. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We bless you. Just open your mouth and thank him. Father, thank you for the love of God is manifest in our midst. Thank you for your goodness is present with us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. That Father... As your love is revealed, there is healing in the hearts of your people. There is goodness in the hearts of your people. We, 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 we thank you, Father. We place each other in a place of importance and significance. And we bless your name. Just open your mouth and give him praise. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you and we thank you because of your faithfulness. We give you glory, Lord Jesus. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless you and we thank you, precious Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Father, let your love take preeminence in the hearts of your people. Let your goodness take preeminence in the hearts of people. We bless you, Lord. We praise you. For your love is so great. Your love is so good. And it reaches to the depths of our soul. We bless you and we thank you. We honor you, precious Lord. Father, let love, let brotherly love dominate our hearts. 
let it dominate our midst and be glorified in this place. Oh, we bless you. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness. You are a faithful God, full of love and full of grace. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. 